You're listening to Local Maximum, episode 15. We're always looking for something that's surprising and shares a bit of information that the public couldn't find anywhere else. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. All right, welcome. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Intro music. Fading away. Oh, yeah. Again, thanks for listening. Once again, a lot of new listeners this week. Thanks for stopping by and trying out this new show. As I said last time, uh, we have a number of different formats on the show, interviews, topical discussions, monologues. So, hey, pick out what you like. And um, when I say we're going to talk about technology, we're going to talk about you know, machine learning, and we're going to talk about society, I realize that's a very broad you know, topic. Some people say that you shouldn't do that, but it's kind of, it's working for me so far, so I guess I'll keep doing it. Uh, follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Max Sklar. Email the show, localmaxradio at gmail.com. We have a few mentions and some links this week where uh, we got some new traffic, and so I'm going to talk, uh, I want to talk more about that next week. Uh, let's start out uh, following up on some of the discussion topics. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't last week's topic. Yeah, you probably heard that before. Some of you are hearing Laurel, and some of you are hearing Yanny. Yanny. Now you're hearing Yanny. That's because, or you should be, many of you who weren't hearing Yanny before. That's because the New York Times, uh, and New York Times does something useful every once in a while. The New York Times made a tool where you could hear either Yanny or Laurel by sliding this slider left and right. Um, it's because Yanny is really, you know, the higher pitched tones and Laurel is lower pitched tones. That's what it seems. I think there's something a little more complicated going on there. Let's put it all the way down to Laurel. Yeah. Laurel. That's the Laurel. Laurel. Yeah. Yeah. What's weird is that you can actually trick yourself into hearing something different by using the slider. Um, so this has been called an optical illusion in sound. For those of you, by the way, I'm assuming everyone's heard this. Maybe there are people who have not heard this. Maybe you've been living under a rock. But the fact is, with this sound, some people hear Yanny and some people hear Laurel. And you probably don't believe it at first, but there are, if you listen to somebody else, they hear the, the completely different thing. Uh, I heard one anchor call it an optical illusion in sound, but that's stupid because optical means sight. So let's call it an auditory illusion. Uh, like I said, Yanny is high pitched. I, you know, and maybe something like the negative space between letters in, in Laurel. It comes from a recording of Laurel. It comes from a dictionary.com recording. So that's weird. I heard that if you have young ears, you hear Yanny. Uh, thing is, I heard Yanny all the way at first. I even moved the New York Times slider all the way to the left, and I heard Yanny for a very, very long period of time. And so I guess I had young ears, but then I went back to check it today, and all I hear is Laurel. So uh, maybe between today and three days ago, that's when, that's when I got old, or maybe that's when my ears got old um, between this time. So I just changed just like that. Um, anyway, if you don't like these things, skip ahead like 15 seconds, but there's another one that's going around that also blew my mind. All right, listen again. 
I mean, not only what word is it, but how many syllables is that? It's supposed to say brainstorm. It's a kid's toy. But it does say, you can hear it saying green needle if you think green needle. Let's, let's hear it again. One more time. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, weird part is there's a light that goes off if you look at the uh, if you look at the device and it does blink three times, uh, giving you the impression that the word it's trying to say has three syllables. But yeah, that's the odd thing, the the words don't even sound the same. Uh, speaking of words, <clears throat> today we have on the show. Foursquare Communications Director and Editor-at-Large, Sarah Spagnolo. Now, you know I've been talking a lot about covering a lot of ground here. I work in engineering. I work on products. I build machine learning models. But along with working uh, with the data, we need to have people who can explain this to the rest of the world what's going on. And Sarah does a lot of fascinating stuff. But one of the things she does is work with us to build news stories from our data at Foursquare, often built from things that... Uh, nobody else knows yet. Like nobody else in the world has access to these stories. They, they just don't know. So it's really fascinating. Uh, before we get into that, let me follow up now, finally, with some of the news stories from last time. Uh, so I thought the Google demo was pretty interesting where these AIs essentially called businesses to make reservations. Hey, my client would like a reservation at three. Oh, okay, no problem. Uh, can you, uh, three is not available. Can you do 3.30? Sure, they're available at 3.30. And they can call and get information about the hours and all that stuff. And in the demo, the AIs calling the businesses sounded like real people. They had ums and ahs. They had pauses in the right place. There were a few awkward intonations that you can kind of tell a, a computer would do, but hey, if you listen to the show, you know that I also do have awkward intonations, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not a robot, so maybe it's working uh, just as expected, um, or maybe that's just what I found when I listened to myself over and over again editing this sound. One of the things with, we're doing a lot of, learning a lot of sounds this week. One of the things that's really weird to me with editing sound is how you can cut someone's sentence in half, and sometimes it's like no one will ever notice in a million years, and other times it's like uh, you, you can't quite do it. The words blend together too much, and you could never tell until you try it. Uh, sound works in mysterious ways. So anyway, obviously some people were bothered by this demo. I spoke to Aaron about the ethical implications, or maybe that's not the right word, standards that we ought to have when we have a robot call a real person. But this latest article in Vanity Fair asks how, quote, real these conversations actually were. The title is, uh, did Google fake its big AI demo? You might object to the word uh, U-H, in the title. Uh, I usually find it kind of smug, but it really fits in well here because that's what bots, that's what the bots did. So I... I Keep it in. Subtitle is, the tech press has questions and Google isn't providing answers. And I think it's fair to ask, especially in a demo like this, you know, were these real businesses? Um, were these real clients that, uh, you know, you were setting up um, calendars for? Or, or were their calendars and situations kind of, um, kind of designed specifically for this test? Or were these two conversations kind of cherry-picked out of hundreds where most of the conversations in the hundreds don't sound so great. And 
these questions are being raised and the journalists are not getting a response from Google. Uh, this isn't one of those, well, maybe it is. I don't tend to like articles that sort of hurl ask accusations or kind of ask questions that are really accusations in disguise before some organization can respond. But I, I don't think this is it. Uh, you know, when a company, particularly a, a public company, gives a demo like this, we really want to know, you know, how staged was this demo? Give us an idea of how close we are to this thing actually working in the wild. And, and the point of the article is that we really don't get it. We really didn't get uh, that answer. You know, so for all we know, these were staged conversations between humans that were kind of aspirational for what Google would like to do. Now, I doubt it's that staged. It's, you know, Google has to be doing something with their engineers and their time. You know, it's some of the greatest AI researchers in the world. I'm sure the voices were generated. But uh, again, as we all know, turning something into a final product is always much harder than you think, and so this is something to watch more closely. If you want to hear our original commentary, go to last week's show. This brings me to the fact that I mentioned the Turing test and how these bots definitely don't pass them. Um, I'm sure if you ask them about 17th century English literature, you know, they'd fall apart. Actually, <laughs> that's a really bad example. I'd fall apart if someone asked me about 17th century English literature. Let me think. Okay, if you ask them about the weather, then they'd probably fall apart. So one listener emailed me and asked me, you know, if the Turing test is a system, uh, you know, has that has as one of its goals to become a really, really good deceiver, and whether it's, you know, kind of an outdated measuring stick, uh, you know, because the Turing test is to build a bot that a human can examine and not tell the difference between a machine and a human. Now, I, I kind of want to think about this more. This is a little bit of a challenge, so I'm going to bring it up again maybe next time I have Aaron on the program or if I'm going to go it alone. But my initial reaction, my initial reaction is that the Turing test is, is a sufficient condition for general AI. So yes, if you've deceived a human, and remember, it's a human paying attention to who actually knows so, so the human who is paying attention to the bot um, actually knows there's a 50% chance that it's a bot and it's kind of adversarial in asking those questions. Um, so it's not a situation where, you know, you sort of type a few things in the YouTube comments and nobody suspects you're a bot. Like, of course, anyone could do that. I, I think if you can do that, if you can successfully fool someone, then you've gotten general AI. But... I also think that the first general AIs, the first strong AIs, I, I think they're the same, uh, probably won't be able to do that, and it's probably not where the investment money is going to go. Uh, there may be no practical use for trying to do something like that. You know, or, or is there? Is there a practical use for trying to pass off a machine as a human? This, this has gotten me thinking. This is really interesting. Um, yeah, we'll discuss it more. Anyway... I found another article today, I'll link on the show notes page related to this, uh, brand new, so I haven't had a chance to read it fully. It's titled, The Turing Test Holds No Value in Assessing Conversational AI by Panit Mehta of msg.ai. I haven't had a chance to read it thoroughly but, uh, yet, but it looks like it's going in the same direction where all the big problems that we'd like to solve are not deceiving humans to such a large extent. Uh, you want to be better than humans at a lot of things, not kind of slow yourself down to try to act like the human. So I think this will come up a little later. For now and for the foreseeable future, though, 
we live in a human world, and that's why I am having Sarah on the program today to talk about how to make data stories interesting to humans. As you'll see, she does a lot more than just the TV appearances, but I have to play this TV appearance from a few years ago. Let's go back a little bit. What was the first sort of food trend that you picked up on? At the beginning part of the year, we saw something really interesting, which is food trucks have sort of had a demise, and Hawaiian restaurants and poke saw an upsurge. Poke is actually a Hawaiian mainstay dish. It actually translates to segment or to cut. It's raw, raw fish salad. And we saw people getting really excited about this. It's not surprising. People love Asian food. That's... Did you see this surge across the country or just we in the areas? So that's Sarah talking about our data. Uh, she takes this information from engineers, analysts, and brings it to the world, essentially. Uh, Sarah Spagnolo is a communications and travel expert and Foursquare's editor-at-large. She identifies the trends and news using data science and analytics, all while developing powerful messaging, launching products, and driving meaningful coverage and content experiences. Uh, previously, Sarah was an editor at Travel and Leisure, where she conceived of the Editorial Video Initiative, managed the world's best awards, the Travel and Leisure 500, and the editorial content on the flash sale site Vacationist. She also served as vice president at Lou Hammond and Associates, where she launched the public relations agency's Hammond Digital Plus division. Uh, Sarah graduated from Syracuse University and earned certificates from the Yale Publishing course in uh, New York University's Summer Publishing Institute. Hi, Yale and NYU. I like that. Sarah always pushes the boundaries of editorial, content marketing, and digital strategy. You can find her in bed Brooklyn. Always like to have someone uh, in Brooklyn on the show. Brooklyn first, I say. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about your role at Foursquare. My role is director of comms, so I handle both external and internal communications. And what that means is that I work on everything from um, sharing the news about new hires and new partners that we might want to announce in the media, as well as working on something that we're going to talk about a lot, I think, which is what we call our data stories practice. So using Foursquare's insights into how people move through the world and where they go to tell interesting stories about societal shifts and trends. We have a lot of we have a lot of data stories. I actually I'm already going to go off script because now I have a question. Do you ever like? think that this would be your job like to take Foursquare data and turn it into uh, stories like how did you how did you get into this to begin with um you know what I love about career trajectories and maybe about life in general is that it makes so much sense when you look backwards but when you're in totally. the midst of it and trying to look forwards it's such a mystery and I think that's very much true with my story I always wanted to work in magazine publishing and from the time I was a very little girl. And so I went to school um, in upstate New York at Syracuse to study magazines. They have a great journalism program there. And before I was able to get into the program, I found um, a, a major that I really, a discipline that I really found fascinating, which is geography. And so I ended up marrying my love of geography with my focus on magazine publishing. And I ended up at a magazine called Travel and Leisure. And I did that for many, many years. And then, of course, you know, uh, the publishing industry is contracting, and that is a 
difficult place to work for many reasons, although yeah. I still subscribe to many magazines and love them very much. Uh, but it became obvious that that wasn't where I was going to spend the rest of my career. And I explored a lot of different avenues, and Foursquare was looking for somebody that could help them uncover trends in the same way that I did as an editor. And so here I am. Yeah, yeah you have a lot of great clips from uh, Travel and Leisure Online. Uh, so um, if I'm allowed, maybe I'll, I'll play them. I'll intersperse them into the, into the show. Um, I think they're in the public domain, so you're good. All right, great. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know after the show. All right, so you take some of the data insights that we come up with at Foursquare, and you turn it into something that people would actually want to read about. And so when you talk to engineers and analysts about like the models and the insights that they're finding, uh, what do you look for when it comes to making a good story? Well, we're always looking for something that's surprising and shares a bit of information that the public couldn't find anywhere else. And Foursquare has a lot of that. And while it takes a tremendous amount of analytics prowess and analysis, um, I'm often really impressed with the things that we can reveal. And that's mainly because we have a bird's eye view of a lot of different industries. So oftentimes brands and companies will be able to or must share details on their own business. But it's very hard for individual businesses to understand how they compete within the broader landscape. And that's one reason why we have a business model that works in some ways. Um, things like attribution and our dashboards share a lot of those insights for, for brands and for companies. And we're able to do that for reporters, too, who are looking for an idea on, for an example, how legalization of marijuana might be impacting uh, visits to bars and you know whether or not people are staying home in the states more now that they can just smoke weed we, versus we, we did a we, we did a study like that we did a study uh, like I don't that. I don't remember that what was what was the impetus for that uh, the impetus was what can we say on this topic really and, and do we have an yeah, insight to share topical. yeah um, this was a couple of years ago and I think it's something that perhaps we'll revisit again in the future now that it's becoming you know now that that marijuana is becoming legal in even more states but what we found is that people are social creatures, and so um, they are still interested in going out to bars and restaurants. Right, and play video games and right. podcasts. Who would do that? Seriously, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and and that's the kind of thing that that we love to talk about because, of course, it, it's very much like people feel in their hearts maybe that they that that people are going to bars less, but yeah. in fact, we're seeing, you know, we saw the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me about some of the well-received data stories that we got out at Foursquare that you worked on. I know some of them, we got a lot of, uh, um, some of them we got a lot of very high, you know, some of them got shared quite a bit. Yeah, I was just trying to remind myself of, of some of my favorites. Um, one, of course, we very famously, uh, predicted um, Chipotle revenue. Right. Now, this was a while ago. This was um, a few years ago, and not, not a while ago, but like th there, was, there was a story that people might not remember now, um, right, at the time. It was, right. I believe it was 
Chipotle. So Chipotle what? had an E. coli scare. Okay, that's what it was. Um, see, I didn't even remember. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, All right, let's and see. we predicted that sales would be down nearly 30%. And um, and that was in advance of an earnings announcement. This was, I'm pulling up the date, this was in yeah. April of 2016. And, and we were right on the nose. And um, that was the first time the public realized that alternative data could inform all sorts of businesses and yeah. and the news and and what have you, and that was a pretty exciting time for our company and for us as a comms unit. That's pretty good. You know, it's it's amazing how because I've been working on this attribution product for the last year. It's like we can get like one insight out there pretty fast, but then uh, you know to actually make a, a product that that works for like you know hundreds of different companies, it just takes me like all year. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's well, I mean, the important thing I, I think to take away from that comment is that here at, at our company, we all work very closely hand in hand. And there's yeah. a, a lot of behind the scenes work that goes even into something that appears, you know, just like a blog post. But there's um, a tremendous amount of study and rigor and and data that's thrown away because it turns out to be uninteresting or um Yes, yeah. not something that we want. I, I to remember. Talk. I think. I think I was working on this with you. It was a. Um, do you remember this? It was the, maybe it was the happiest or you know most praised or most liked um, tech cafeterias. Yes. In the in the country, right, right. And you asked me, is it accurate? And then I said, well, what's it for? And you said, I think it is a Business Insider slideshow. Yeah. And I said, this is the most <laughs> accurate slideshow that Business Insider has ever done. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of a lot of you know sentiment analysis and machine learning went into right. you know calculating how uh, you know how positive people were at all these cafeterias. And so maybe I'll link to, I'm going to link to all these. This is a good show notes page article because I'm going to be able to link to all of this stuff. So um, I, I, I'm pretty sure we can find that article and we can link to it. Yep. Um, yeah, so you you worked on a lot of those types of articles, whether it's sentiment trends or tastes trends. What 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 types of trends like that do, you, do people tend to find interesting, um, either for regular just articles or end-of-year reports? In 2015, we launched for the first time something that we call When America Ate, Drink, and Saw, and that was a year-end recap of lots of different types of trends that we compiled together in kind of one of these popular clickbaity stories. Um, the ones that, for me, that are the most exciting are um, are those that are perhaps not related directly to food. I think that's because, although a lot of people love food trends. They're overdone in a lot of ways and by experts and chefs and everybody seems to have an opinion. Yeah. But the insights that we have about foot traffic and where people go are again, you know, the same top, the same general perspective, which is that they're unique to us. Nobody else really understands them. Yeah. And so um, one of my favorites that we ever did was the Patriots beat the Seattle Seahawks in February of 2015 in the Super Bowl. And we were able to show that um, in the days leading up to the game that Patriots fans were out cavorting around much more than um, Washington Seattle Seahawks fans. And mm. that's just so much fun, right? It's yeah. just like nobody else can can 
can tell you that information definitively. Um, you know, we also knew that maybe you guys remember that Pope Francis came to the U.S. that year, and we saw that the week before he arrived, the church attendance surged by 20%. That's interesting as well. So I, it's just it, fun and It's different. always surprising what we can pick up and, uh, and what we can't. Um, not a lot that we can't. I guess anything that has to do with, uh, you know, what that, that doesn't have to do with where people are going or what people are saying on Foursquare Swarm, but that's a lot of stuff. Um, and yeah, so, and some of the food trends too, you said, well, a lot of people write about food trends, but we actually have, you know, uh, we actually have this page where we can determine whether certain food items are on the rise or on the decline. And we found some interesting stuff there too, right? Yeah, I, I admittedly haven't looked there recently, so can't speak very much to what we have there right now, um, but that's the kind of places where we found, yeah, where we found things like matcha was on the rise and right. Latin American tastes. Right, and, I remember that. Um, you know, I always wish we could like, um, you know, make some kind of API there so that people can turn this into a dashboard. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it. Uh, this will never come true. Like, you'll never have like a. Uh, well, I don't want to say never, but like a a. a, a um, uh, let's say a restaurant or even like a fast food place where they have like different graphs of uh, on the wall of what people are going to like that day and they have to you know create their uh, special sandwich of the day just based on what the uh, neighborhood mood is well i think actually um if i'm remembering a, this correctly cool tgi fridays yeah is a client of ours and they use our insights into regional tastes to help um, inform cocktails for really? various restaurants and um, let me look into that see if we could find the article yeah so there there That'd are really there nice. are there are companies and brands that are that are using those taste trends in all sorts of different ways that's pretty cool all right so let's talk a little bit about um, about your television appearances how did you get started with that I know Max you're very excited about about that part of my career I fell into it actually when yeah. I was an editor at, at travel and leisure and you know people like to hear travel trends it's a fun thing to you fell into it like I never wanted to be on TV oh come on <laughs> it was I will I will be truthful with you which is that I always wanted to work in magazines yeah. and the TV part came um, and it was a it was a really fun part of my it, it career, but it, really it was it was never the it was it has never been the focus. Yeah. Um, and you know, people like to hear about travel first thing in the in the morning because right. everyone wants to escape whatever terrible news is on the Today Show. Or they haven't whatever. seen it yet, right? And so that was something that I had the pleasure of doing both for when I worked in magazines and also here as a representative of Foursquare. How early did you have to get up to uh, uh, make those recordings? Oh, my goodness. I used to do an every other week segment on the Weather Channel on a show called Wake Up with Al. And That's I Al would, Roker. Yes. And I, would, I, like, I grew up watching his, uh, his weather reports. And he's, speaking of tastes, he drinks a ginger, like a ginger cocktail, not without alcohol, but just like some mixture every morning. He does not drink coffee, in wow. case you're wondering. Hmm. All that enthusiasm and energy comes yeah. from within. Um, but he, I used to do a show that I would need to arrive there, if I'm remembering correctly, at about six o'clock in the morning. And so yeah. um, I would be up pretty regularly at about four. I would probably just sleep over at like uh, 
someone's house that's like right nearby. Yeah, it so was. I'd know, sleep at the office here. Yeah, it was. It was for a while. I used to do before I did TV. You know, you, you practice and you ramp up to things like this. And I was. I did a radio show, and you needed to. This was well before podcasting. You needed to be on a landline to be on the radio show. So I would go into my office really early in the morning, so I could use a phone, like a phone that we don't actually have in this office any longer but we used to have phones yeah. and call into this radio show to talk about travel and then I would go back home I, this is when I lived on 51st street I would go back home and take a nap before yeah. I like got up and oh. went back to work yeah yeah you almost have to what um how do you prepare for those kinds of experiences now I now it's it's interesting to me because um you know I guess I have radio experience, not real radio experience, college radio experience, but whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and now uh, some, some podcast experience. But uh, the, the, the TV, the, the TV um, it seems like the preparation, the type of preparation you have to do is a lot different. Like I can, we can stop this podcast at any time and say, oh, there's a big noise outside or I got distracted or I, we got off topic. Let's let's stop and have a break and walk around and then restart again. Um, but you really have to be on or just this happens when I'm recording all the time. I just forget the word that I'm going to say. And I'm like, let me take a deep breath. Let me still, let me, let me figure out the word that I'm going to say and then I'm going to go, but you really have to be on point on TV the whole time, unless they do edit a little bit, but tell me a little bit about how, how you prepare for that. Maybe. Um, and the truth of the matter is that I was very well prepared and and pretty scripted. I yeah. always knew, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't talking about I wasn't on sixty minutes. I wasn't right. No, it was no like gotcha, gotcha. happening. Um, except just <laughs> then, it was more of um, a layup, if you will. Yeah. In that they wanted the producers and the show hosts and anchors wanted to see beautiful places and wanted to know the real information about it. So it behooved them and me to know exactly the order in which we were covering things and, and what was going to be shown so that I could speak specifically to the B-roll or to the photos that would appear, you know, on TV. And Do they give you something to read while you were on? Or no, just no. I would, they would give me the order of whatever it was that I was talking about. Yeah. And I would basically write a script and then I would study it. And I have a personal rule, which works for me. And as a comms person, when I'm talking to people at our company, I, I encourage the same rule for them, which is that I always felt like if I said something out loud five times, that it would be ingratiated into my memory. Hmm. And so that's what I would do. I would literally talk to myself. It would, it would always be, a, it was more often than not a morning show. And so I would do this thing where I would sit on my couch before, I, and I, I wasn't very good about studying at night before. I would, so I would have to get up extra early and give myself about an hour and a half in the morning. And I would do this thing where I went, "Good morning, good morning. How are you? Well, I'm great." And so here we are <laughs> to talk about Charleston. Why don't we start there? And I'd be like, "Yeah, Char- Charleston, this a beautiful is the morning southern, before you get there." Yes, this, yeah. Charleston, a beautiful southern city with you know known for historic sites and plazas and great running along along the water, whatever it was. And I would do it out loud to myself. And my dog, um, five times, and then I felt really ready. Did your dog think you were crazy? You'd have to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this makes me feel better about some pre- preparing for my podcast. I feel like I'm talking to myself all day, and people are like, "Max, what are you saying?" I'm like, "I'm just, just trying to figure out in my mind what I'm going to say." Right, so, and you're more likely then to pull good up that professionals do this <laughs> absolutely, and you have to pull up the right words. But you know, yeah, it, it's 
everybody always wonders how some how like the how this sausage gets made. I, yeah. I don't know if you how much TV you watch, but I've been watching Billions. And, I mean, um, I oh yeah, not not Billions. Uh, for the Today Show, I mean, I don't I haven't watched it recently. Just like when because when I went to when I was in like high school and middle school, I used to get up really early, and right. so that was always on. Right. Um, well, so I've been watching Billions, and Paul Giamatti is an amazing actor. But it, oh, yeah. it recently occurred to me I was watching him on the show. I've, I've seen some of those episodes. He, the dialogue is so intense and highfalutin. And I recently was just thinking to myself, like, how the hell does he memorize all of these lines? And of yeah. course, he's an actor; that's his job. But right. even still, it's a lot of memorization. Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I should. Uh, I should. Uh, are you enjoying the show? Maybe I should uh, have another look at it because I remember I enjoyed the pilot in the first couple episodes. Yeah, I mean it's really scandalous, and you know. Yeah. The, it, it, it always it always reminded me that the, the main hedge fund there was you know in Connecticut, and it always reminded me of uh, of Bridgewater, which was kind of you know one town over from where I grew up. Yeah. I used to go, um, you know, take the dog there to use. Their woods is the bathroom, but uh, it was. Uh, I, I, I know it kind of reminds me of my hometown uh, a little bit, which is, which is interesting. Uh, okay, so did you ever get any feedback after doing those today's show stories? Like, do they ever say, "Oh, we want more"? Um, you know, how how much do they know about their viewers in terms of? Oh, this segment was really interesting. We'd like to see more of that. That sort of thing. Did you ever get any of that? I mean, I never really heard much. I was seen in a lot of ways as the talent, so they they don't really share that with me. But I do know that that's always. I wish you know. I feel like don't do you wish it was shared with you more? Honestly, no, and I'll tell you why. Okay, that was never you know. Talking about travel on TV was never the full focus of my job. And so I was pretty happy to do just what I needed to do to gotcha. make those segments work. So you just work. want to focus on... I mean, we heard feedback. Again, I was always talking about hotels and travel experiences and strategies. And we definitely heard feedback that we needed to reduce the price of the hotels that we were talking about. So okay. it became, we went from, I remember we, at one point you were able to talk about hotels that were $300 a night or less and then 250 and then it netted out that every hotel that we talked about had to be less than $200 a night. Yeah. And you wanted to find unique and beautiful places, but they had to be affordable because America is, was looking for that. Yeah. And, um, uh, and that became challenging to find really yeah. beautiful places that had great B-roll that were unique and surprising and... But if you find by, one, that's that's something that's that would be interesting to a lot of people. Yeah, we. Sh- so. I mean, we would we would highlight a hotel. And we would shut down their websites. There would be so many inquiries. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, so, what's um, what are we up to uh, recently here at Foursquare? What are some of the more recent uh, data stories that we're working on? Well, I'm not exactly going to tell you what we've been working on now okay. because they're very much underway. But well, I can tell you what. What's the last what... one that we got out? The last one that we got out, or or yeah, what what? How have how has the conversation shifted? I guess for twenty eighteen, like what? Well, we've been working on. Let me say this: when we started doing data stories, the news landscape was very different. It was before the current election, and 
the focus on politics across the board was less. And what I mean by that is that the media, no matter if they're a tech site or a news site or a female-focused blog or what have you, everybody now is very, and rightly so, focused on what's happening in the news and what it means for their readers. And so we as a company and as a comms team in particular have recognized that for us to be relevant, first of all, it's even harder and harder to do that. And I'm sure other people who work at other brands and tech companies are feeling the same, that it's just harder to break through the noise. Oh, yeah. And so we are being particularly targeted with the stories that we approach and how we spend our time. Also, by the way, everybody here is incredibly busy because we've grown so fast and so much. So we have to be really smart about the asks that we make on the engineers and the analytics teams. Tell me about it. If I had, if I had, if I had, uh, you know, if I were to spend my way in in a way that was more enjoyable, I'd be talking to you guys more about data stories, spending a higher percentage of my time working on that. Right. So I think Uh, we all feel that way. All right. Let me ask you if someone wants to learn more about Sarah Spagnolo, where can they go online? (laughs) Um, Follow me on Twitter. I'm not very good at Twitter, but um, I will, I see all that. I have a website. You can Shoot me an email. You did uh, your website. How, how did you get your website done? Because your website is very well done. No, oh, thank you. I use Squarespace. Ah, very cool. I've heard that twice in the program. I feel like Squarespace is essentially a, a sponsor for free of my program. Now. <laughs> well, <That's> um, <laughs> if you're looking for for more information, our uh, former CMO is actually now at Squarespace oh, right. That's too. True. So. I'll let her know. Maybe I, I should be like, hey, you know, you guys aren't paying me, but I'm giving you free advertising. So. <laughs> She'd be thrilled to hear it, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to promote before we say goodbye? No, I think, Max, it's always a pleasure to work with you. So thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for coming on. This is a really interesting episode of The Local Maximum. And... Uh, Hope to have you on again. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks. All right. Fantastic. Uh, One more thing. Uh, A lot of people want to hear more about Facebook. I've spoken, sometimes I say, you know, and just, I spent three episodes ranting about Facebook, but uh, some of you want me to be even more critical of Facebook than I am. Maybe I'm taking too much of a a middle road. Uh, I even spoke to some New York Facebook engineers. They're like, hey, it makes sense that you're talking about Facebook. They don't necessarily want me to be more critical, but they understand why I'm talking about it. I sort of had some constructive criticism on censorship and news ranking, but hey, who knows? Maybe in the future that constructive criticism will turn into outright hostility from me if they play their cards uh, wrong. But let's see what happens. But... If you don't have that patience, if you're looking for someone who really rips into Facebook right now all the time and makes the case against them, then I think you're, wanna, you're gonna wanna uh, check out This Week in Startups. It's a podcast by uh, tech angel investor, Jason Calacanis. It's probably one of the largest you know, tech podcasts out there. I think, I think we have done, I think the Foursquare, four I think our CEO, uh, Jeff Glick, uh, was on them once. Um, I found it's pretty good for learning about the newest companies and products, and it's also really good for getting really harsh criticism of Facebook. I'll link to the last episode on the show notes because there was a lot of discussion about how Facebook runs its ads and the ethics of it. 
Uh, I'm not going to comment on this yet. You know, ads, the ad industry online is so complicated. I work in ads now, so, you know, I, I can't figure it out half the time. So I better figure this out. Uh, but, you know, one of the great things about this industry is that you can discuss whether what you're doing is ethical and decide, you know, uh, whether or not to do it or to push back really hard. So it's definitely something to think about. All right. Who knows what's happening next week? More topical stuff, more tutorials. Who knows? Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. Feel the power. She said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna